Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. to most of us, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing, everybody say one thing, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. We'll go ahead and read verse 14. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, for this one thing I do, filled, focused, and fervent, I want the Holy Ghost to help us tonight. Why don't you pray with me that the Lord would minister through his word tonight. Jesus, we thank you for your word. It's already anointed. I pray that you would anoint this vessel tonight as I endeavor to speak forth your word. I pray that you would help us, God, and I pray that your word would lift, encourage, direct give guidance to help us in Jesus name we thank you and praise you for it the church said amen praise God thank you for standing and you may be seated I spoke to you last week on the facet of this talking about being filled and how important it was for us to be filled with the Holy Ghost but this week we're going to speak Uh, about the second portion of our title, and that is about being focused. There is a term that has been popularized uh, in the last little while, in the last few years, especially among millennials, and the term, and you're familiar with it, is multitasking. And this is uh, an apparent human ability to perform more than one task or activity at a time, at the same time, simultaneously. For example, uh, you could be driving down the road and talking on the phone, preferably with a hands-free device. You could be talking on the phone, carrying on a conversation while driving to a destination. And while multitasking can sound fascinating and efficient, recent research reveals that 650 billion, billion with a B, a year is wasted in U.S. businesses due to multitasking. Also, psychologist Barry Swartz noted that given the media-saturated landscape that we live in, called the Internet era, it is tempting to dwell in the sea of information with too many choices which creates a negative effect on human happiness. And that is what they've determined through their studies, psychologists, that you would think more information, more choices, more things to be able to research and find out and to know, then that would create more happiness, but not necessarily so. But your strength, your poise, I believe your peace, Purpose, significance, and meaning in life 
It all comes back to the degree in which you are able to, above all else, really, really focus your life on the things of God. And let that be the primary thing in your life. The foundation from which you build everything else in your life upon. Now, I realize that sounds simple, and I, I really think that that is elementary in our walk with God, but yet uh, when we go to flesh it out and live it out, it seems like so very few people are really doing that, uh, really allowing the Lord to be first place in their life. Some theologians, as we speak about the book of Philippians, some theologians stated that, that uh, the church at Philippi was Paul's favorite church. They come to this conclusion because uh, the Philippian church and the book of Philippians, uh, here that we, we read, you can see his uh, adoration for the church, his compliments to the church, and really, if you had to sum up the book of Philippians, you would say that it is a thank you note to this church. Because during this time, the Apostle Paul is in prison. He is in Rome for the gospel, charged for preaching the gospel. And he is awaiting a capital trial where he will stand before one of the most feared and most intimidating leaders or Caesars of all of Rome, and that was Caesar Nero. And this church that he had founded but had not been able to visit them or see them for some ten years, they sent him a love offering where he was in prison. And the book of Philippians is history's most famous, if you want to say it this way, thank you note from the Apostle Paul. First, he knows that uh, they will be wondering about how he is doing. They'll want to report on how he's getting along, knowing that he's in prison, knowing that he's in these dire situation and circumstances. And so he begins here, and I just want to walk through it in, first, uh, in the first chapter of the book of Philippians, beginning there with verse 12. And he says, but I would... Ye should understand, brethren, that these things which happened unto me, having fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that by my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but to the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel." What then, notwithstanding in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. I therein do rejoice, yea, I will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your faith and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, 
then in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, and I want you to note these words, to live is Christ. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, as I emphasize that verse 21, and that's what I want to kind of focus on when I talk about this man having a Christ-centered and a Christ-focused life and how that that blessed him to be one of the greatest Christian examples that we can read about in all the New Testament, one of the greatest, if not the greatest apostle, apostle that you read about in the New Testament and leaves us so much that we can understand about the Lord through reading the writings of the Apostle Paul, which he was moved on to write by the Holy Ghost. But when you think of some names, when you consider, when, when names are mentioned, or a name, a person's name comes up, there's always certain things that come to mind. For instance, if I was to mention the name Mozart, immediately your, your mind wouldn't think of a multiple uh, or multiple things, but it would think uh, of music. It would automatically turn to the beautiful music that he was able in his genius to compose. If I was to mention uh, the inventor's name, Thomas Edison, automatically you would think of the light bulb. When I uh, use the name Henry Ford, you would automatically think of the automobile. And then, of course, when you think of George Washington, you think of honesty and you think of integrity. And uh, these are just some of the things that come up. But when you think of the Apostle Paul, there's, there's something that comes to mind. We think of him as being uh, not only the greatest apostle and ambassador of Jesus Christ, but we think of this man being someone that exemplified a life of sacrifice and that was totally given and completely surrendered, his life was, unto the Lord. In fact, 160 times in his letters he talks about being a man in Christ. A man in Christ. No one else has used that kind of language before or since. You can search throughout all ancient literature. You don't find anyone saying uh, a man in Caesar or a man in Alexander the Great. But Paul said, I am a man in Christ. That is something that he was emphatic about, and you see it 160 times through his writings. And so this shows us that he said, I, I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. Just like a bird is in the air, and the air is in the bird, or the fish is in the sea, and the sea is in the fish. He said, I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. Amen. It's one thing to be in the presence of the Lord, but it's another thing to let the presence of the Lord be manifest through you. It's another thing to let the Holy Ghost be displayed through you. It's important that we be.
be in Christ and Christ be in us. Can you say amen? You know, it's, it's a difficult thing to enjoy somebody's company when they're multitasking. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been with someone and uh, you're, you're, you're trying to hold a conversation with them and, and maybe they got their phone out half of the time and they're texting someone or they're looking over your shoulder and they're nodding at somebody else trying to carry on a conversation with them, it makes you feel mighty unimportant, doesn't it? Or maybe you've been on the phone with somebody and you can just tell. I mean, there's certain details that are talked about and then, and then all of a sudden you get on down in the conversation and you have to rehearse those details to them because they obviously was not listening when you first said them. A friend of mine, he and I, uh, being me being probably more of an acquaintance and he being a closer friend to Brother Booker, we get a kick out of this, but when Brother Booker wants to get you off the phone, he starts repeating this one phrase, life's a trip. And when he starts that life's a trip in business, it's time to get off the phone because he's not paying attention anymore. And so as I was thinking about that and how that we can multitask sometimes and think that we're getting it all done, but we're really distracted and unfocused. And I was thinking about multitasking. I thought about Pentecostal churches had that down pretty good because uh, we've been doing that for years in church. People, before they had uh, phones, they had checkbooks and fingernail clippers and all those kinds of things where they could take care of all those tasks while they were listening to the preaching of the Word of the Lord. But there's something about being able to harness your mind. And I believe it takes really the help of the Lord for us to do that to the degree that we need to. Focus and harness our minds. That's why we, we believe in pre-service prayer. That's why it is important that we take a little time before the service begins and the preaching of the Word of the Lord goes forth, that we take a few minutes to worship God. That's why we have songs of praise. We come into His presence. We're closing the world out. We've been all day out there in the world and involved in all the festivities of the world and focused on all of those things. And it's time to come to church and to hear from God. And we only have precious moments here to be in the presence of the Lord. And it's very important that we be able to get out of it everything that is possible and potential for us to receive from it. We need to get it when we come to the house of God. So it demands our focus. Demands our focus. You know, before we had GPSs and, and other devices like this, and even cell phones for that matter, that have built-in GPSs, a lot of times when a person would go hiking or hunting or camping, one of the necessary items was to have a, a compass. And and you, you didn't just want a cheap compass. You had, an, you had to have one that worked properly because, you know, it could, it could be a serious situation if you didn't have a good one. And one thing that you might notice about a compass, if you lay it somewhere for a long period of time, if it's a good compass, its default position is true north. In other words, well, I don't know whether north's this way. North. It's going to fall back to true north if it's left alone. Now, when you pick it up and you begin to use it, it's going to go to the direction that you're walking, but true north is its default position. I wonder what your default position is. There's a lot of distractions in life. 
There's a lot of things coming at us every day. There's a lot of information that we've got to, to process. There's a lot of things that are coming against us spiritually and resisting us spiritually. But every saint of God needs a default position, and that is that they need a true north in God that they focus on Him. And He is where I receive my strength. He's re where I receive my encouragement. I don't have to look around to somebody else to find direction and help and encouragement, but I can go to the throne of God and know that He's going to help me and strengthen me during my time of need. So, so what is it that you live for? What is it that you live for? Paul did not say in this text, for me to live is for earthly possessions. Matter of fact, in Philippians chapter number 3, verses 7 and 8, he said, but what things were gained to me as far as possessions in this life or anything that I might receive in this life, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I'm not whining about it. I'm not saying, look at all the sacrifices I've made. And I do count them but dung that I may win Christ. If I can live for God, if I can serve the Lord, if I can live a life unto Him that brings Him glory, that furthers His kingdom, then I would call that a successful life. I don't live for this world's possessions, but I live for Christ. I'm serving God. He blesses me with things. I have things that have been given to me because of the blessings of God, and I thank God for each one of them. But at the end of the day, the thing that is most important to me is that I have Jesus Christ in my life. Because if I have all of that and I don't have Him, I'm a poor man. If I have everything that this life has to offer as far as material substance is concerned and I don't have a Savior, then I am, as all men, most miserable without hope. Amen. Because the things of this world, the Bible tells us that dust is going to collect on it and rust is going to deteriorate it. But there's one thing that is not corruptible. There's one thing that is going to live forever. And that's you and I's soul. It's going to live throughout all of eternity, either heaven or hell. And I want to see Jesus. I want to live for Him. I want to get that incorruptible crown that the Bible talks about. I want to press towards that mark. I want to be focused on that goal. I don't want anything to distract me in this world. And Paul did not say for me to live is to receive the accolades of men. That's not what he said. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 and verse 14, Even so hath the Lord ordained that which they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that I should be so done unto me, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. 
But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily that which I preach the gospel. I I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. And then he resumes in verse 24 and says, Know ye not that they that which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things now that do no now they that do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. This was a man that said, I don't want accolades in this world. I've already got a reward that's coming. If I'm faithful to the things that God has called me to, I will receive that reward. I'm not focused on the accolades and the honor that I can receive from man, but I am looking to live for Christ. I'm not living for the things down here, in other words. I'm living for Him. Can you say praise the Lord? And Paul did not even say, for me to live is ministry. He didn't say that. Though he was the pastor of pastors, he was the minister of ministers, and you could even say possibly the apostle of apostles. Yet, he did not say, for me to live is ministry. If you say that, you'll be like the, the picture of the, the, uh, the shiny 18-wheeler that delivers gas, you know, those big tanker trucks. And uh, man's off the side of the road on the shoulder, big tanker truck, and he's got, he's got markers out, and he's got his flashers on. And he's sitting on the side of the road beside it with his head in his hands. Disappointed look on his face. The one that delivers gas ran out of gas. If you say you live for ministry, you'll be like the fella that delivered the gas and ran out of gas. You got to live for Christ. You got to live for God. You got to serve the Lord. That's got to be the greatest goal in your life is to please Him and to love Him. Amen. I want to serve Him and do all I do unto God. Amen. I'm not doing this unto man. I'm thankful that I'm able to help people and and I hope that I'm able to help people. But first of all, i got to do it unto God. i got to do it unto Him because I'm wanting to serve Him and please Him and do the will of God that He has placed upon my life. And I encourage you to do the same. So so that comes down to what is our motive and what is our reason for living for God. Is it out of fear of going to hell? Is it simply out of the the influence of somebody else in our lives? And or is it because we 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 feel condemned if we don't Uh, live for God or come to church or do the things that we know we're supposed to do or we were taught to do, I'm going to tell you, sooner or later it's going to have to get down to whether or not you love Jesus. 
And if there's anything that's going to come out of this pandemic, I believe that thing is going to come out. Those that can be shaken will be shaken, but those that love Jesus will remain. Those that love the Lord and are sold out and committed to the cause of Christ, they're going to be here when the shaking's all said and done. Amen. When everything shakes out, they're still going to be worshiping. When everything shakes out, they're still going to be praising God. When everything shakes out, they're going to remain faithful unto the Lord. Come on, let's clap our hands and let's give him some praise right Paul said, for me to live is Christ. That's where I get my inspiration. That's where I find my hope. That's where I get my strength to press on. When you've got your focus right, this living for God comes easy to you. It's difficult when you've got other motivations. It gets hard and it gets strained when you've got other motivations. There are some things that he overcame because he kept his focus. And there are some things that you too can overcome if you will keep your focus. Let's look at them. In verse number 12, in chapter 1 of verse uh, of Philippians, he talks about, Brethren, there were some things that happened to me. Brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. He said there were some things that that happened to me. Well, if you look at this, you'll find that he was determined. If you read in the last uh, few chapters there, or the last chapter of the book of Romans, you'll find that he was determined to go preach the gospel in Spain. He wanted to go there and preach and establish a church there. And the Bible tells us that though that was his aspiration and that it was his goal, you can read more about it, that instead he was arrested and he was thrown into prison. He made an appeal to stand before the Caesar of Rome, which was Nero. Now, uh, to me, that, that spoke of courage because everybody knew the reputation that Nero had. And if you want to read about it, you can study up on it a little bit. You'll find that he was one of the most formidable uh, Caesars that Rome ever had. I mean, he had ice water for blood running through his veins. Uh, this this fellow would kill and not think twice about it. He would kill for entertainment and go sleep on it. That's the kind of man that Nero was. And he, he particularly loved to persecute the church. And he had a almost a fetish about it. And so he appeals to go before Caesar of Rome, and he's placed on a ship, and he's got a bad feeling about it. You've read the story in the latter chapters of the book of Acts. He's got a bad feeling about this trip. He tells them not to go, and they said, what do you know about traveling on ships? And, and they decide to go that direction anyway. And scripture tells us that he met the storm of all storms, and it was because of the apostle Paul and his walk with God that not only he, but the entire uh, crew and the prisoners that were on the boat with him were saved and they came up on the island of Melita. And to make matters worse or to add insult to injury, he is there gathering some sticks to build a fire, and he's bitten by a venomous beast. That didn't bother the apostle Paul. This is the comeback kid. He shakes off the beast into the fire, and the scripture says that he felt no harm. And he goes on and continues. But finally, he makes his way to Rome, and he is placed in the prison awaiting trial to stand before Nero. And we know that these are the last days 
of the Apostle Paul. We, we kind of piece together this story by reading on in the second epistle uh, of Timothy where he's talking about uh, this, this same period of time we surmise. And he's talking about being in prison. But I want you to notice this man's attitude. This is the book where he said, I'm going to rejoice not one time but several times throughout this book. And he says it almost repeating himself as, as though maybe you didn't hear me, but I, I, I'm going to rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. You know what? People look at that and they think, how in the world could a man that is waiting uh, not only a trial, but one that probably means that he's going to be put to death and his head's going to be chopped off. And, and, and if uh, I, I went and visited Rome and they showed us the place uh, that they believed in the street where it was that the Apostle Paul met his demise and his, he was decapitated for the gospel's sake. And, and what, a, what a death it must have been as he's there and uh, he, uh, his head is chopped off and he's a, he's a martyr for Christ. And all of the while he continues in this attitude that if I die, well, that's, that's, I'm just going to be that closer uh, to, to seeing the Lord and being with Jesus and, and I won't have any more of these struggles and problems. But if the Lord allows me to live... It's going to be to my gain if I die, and it's going to be to your gain if I continue to live because I'm going to continue to preach and teach and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. I'm going to build another church. I'm going to spread this gospel of the kingdom. I'm going to do all that I can to work for God. So where, whichever way God wants it to go, it's in his hands. And he said, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to tell you, when you believe that God's really in control, that's the attitude that you can have. Some people may look at you and say, why in the world could you raise your hands on a Wednesday night during the middle of a pandemic? I'll tell you why. It's because I'm not in control and nobody else in this room's in control. Nobody else, in fact, in this world is in control. But Jesus is in control. And so I can rejoice and I can praise the Lord and know that that he is going to take care of us. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. He was focused on God's will. These things happen. He said, I didn't plan it out this way. This wasn't the way I had it mapped out. This wasn't the way I aspired to do it. Sometimes your aspirations don't match your situation, do they? Sometimes your goals... What you plan to do, it doesn't really add up like you'd like it to, or at least in the time frame that you'd like it to. But he said, these things happen for the furtherance of the gospel. Amen. That's the ultimate thing. That's the ultimate will of God, that the gospel be furthered. You know, I read somewhere that a chess player, a beginning chess player, can, now I don't even know if I'm a beginner then, because a beginning chess player can look three moves or anticipate three moves ahead. That's discouraging. That's a beginning chess player. A master chess player can think 30 moves ahead. Oh, Fisher or whatever his name was, he could think probably more than that ahead. 30 moves ahead. But I'm going to tell you, God's even better than that. <laughs> he can outmaneuver. 
He's always ahead. He's never behind the devil and his schemes and his plans. I'm going to tell you when it looks like that we're hemmed in and we're checkmated, I'm going to tell you God already knows the plan to turn this thing around. God always is looking farther ahead than what we're able to see and what we're able to realize and what we can perceive in our humanity. And so he tells us, he said, you know, these things, they happen to me, but he said they happen for the furtherance of the gospel. I couldn't see this, but God was looking ahead. He knew that this was going to happen for the furtherance of the gospel. Can I tell you that a focused life can heal or change what seems like an irreparable or impossible relationship. I want you to get what I'm talking about. Verse 15, while Paul was in jail, you can read this here in verse 15, there was those that were preaching Christ from envy and strife, he said, and even contention. While he, he was in jail... There were those that wanted to hurt him even more. He said in verse 16, supposing to add to my affliction or to add to my affliction to my bonds. In other words, they want to make these chains a little heavier. They want to make these bands that are on my wrist, they want to make them a little tighter. They want to make the suffering of this prison house a little worse from me. And maybe they were motivated out of jealousy uh, towards Paul. I don't know what it was, but they supposing to add to his afflictions. Paul's response to them, though, is what I want you to catch. What then, notwithstanding Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, I will rejoice. Hey, they may a minute for bad, but if Christ is being glorified and Christ is being preached, they may not have the right motive in it, but maybe somebody will hear this message and this truth that is out there. And even if they don't have the right spirit and the right heart in it, I, I believe that God can still get a hold of somebody through his word. And if Christ is preached, I'm going to rejoice. It may be to my demise, but I'm still going to rejoice. I'm still going to worship. I'm not going to hold it against them. When you write over every relationship for me to live is Christ, that relationship right then begins to improve. When you make up your mind where this relationship is concerned, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a relationship between brother and sister in the Lord, whether it's a relationship with somebody on the job, a neighbor, friend, whatever the case is, if you want that relationship to be successful, you have to get your motivation right and say, for me to live is Christ. And that relationship's going to be strengthened. If you want a miserable life and miserable relationships, you wear your feelings on your sleeve. You keep an account book of every wrong, every hurt, every bruise, every injustice, every slight, every offense. You keep a record of all of that. You keep up with all of that. You keep track of all of that. And you never forgive any of that. And you never let any of that go. That spells a miserable life. But when you live 
When you live, for me to live is Christ. You have to forgive because you've been forgiven. You have to let go because there's been so many things that could have been held over you. And you've got to open up your heart and say, I'm going to forgive and I, I, want, I want to be a forgiver because I understand that I have been forgiven. Just last month, on April the 8th, Reverend, uh, some of you may have heard this story, Reverend Harry Blake, pastor of the Mount Canaan Baptist Church in Shreveport, passed away. In 1963, he was very involved in the civil rights movement. And there was a church that was burned, or bombed rather, in Birmingham, Alabama. And Pastor Blake went to the police commissioner and asked for permission to lead a peaceable civil march for six blocks uh, to the church on Sunday morning. And uh, just in memory of those uh, that were there were, I think there was four young ladies that died in that church bombing. And the commissioner didn't even answer, didn't say anything. But on that Sunday, the commissioner came with nine officers and took Pastor Blake out and beat him within an inch of his life and left him there in the grass bleeding and dying and walked away. The reason that I tell you this story is 40 years before he received a formal apology from the city, but the real reason that I'm telling you this is that when that police commissioner was on his deathbed, he begged, not for somebody else, but for Pastor Blake to come and to pray for him. And Pastor Blake was courageous enough and forgiving enough to go and to pray for that man that some years before had beat him within an inch of his life. And as I thought about that story, I thought about Paul and his ability, even though there was those that were causing strife and there was envy and there was contention, he didn't try to keep a record of it. He said, I'm going to live I'm going to live unto God. I'm going to serve the Lord. For me to live is Christ. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to take this uh, to the cross. I, I'm not going to hold it to their charge, but I'm going to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'm just going to live for God, serve the Lord. He's the one that takes care of all of that. I'm not going to worry about all of that. I'm going to continue to walk with the Lord. Clarence McCartney, a uh, old preacher that I've read a lot of his I've got I don't know just about every one of his sermon books in my office it was an old old preacher and uh, he told a story back when they were doing the transatlantic trying to do the transatlantic flights from I guess New York to Paris on just a, a single engine plane one man solo flight Charles Lindbergh ended up doing it the spirit of St. Louis Many of you know that story. But there was many attempts, and there was one man that, that took off an attempt to do this. And as he got up and he was taking off and he was making his way through the clouds, all of a sudden he heard a noise back behind the instrument panel. He could hear a 
a stirring and, a, and some movement. And he looked and he saw little particles beginning to fall out. And he could see the insulation off the wires was being eaten. And, and it was falling like dust at his feet. And he realized that these were very important instruments. And if he was going to have any chance of survival on this flight, he was going to need those instruments. And he suspected correctly that it was a rat, a rodent, that made its way into that plane and maybe had awakened because of the takeoff and started in its nervousness or whatever, eating the insulation off those wires. And he knew that it had to be stopped, but he knew that he couldn't reach down under there and try to find it or search for it because he was trying to control the plane. So he devised a plan. He said, I'm going to take this thing up higher. So he went up a little higher in altitude. He went a little higher in altitude. He went a little higher. And as he got higher, he got into an atmosphere where that rat couldn't live anymore. And it suddenly fell out unconscious at his feet and, uh, and died. Well, I'm going to tell you, you may have come in here with something gnawing on you tonight. But if you'll make up your mind to take it up a little higher... Amen. Make up your mind in this service. I'm going to lift that up in prayer unto God. You can get to an atmosphere and a place where that thing can't live. It can't survive. We need to live on a plane with Jesus Christ and have a walk with God. For me to live is Christ. That means that things can't live there that don't belong there. Unforgiveness can't live there. Grudges can't live there. Bitterness can't live there. Hurt feelings can't live there. Offenses can't live there. Oh, for me to live as Christ. Only victory can live there. Only joy can live there. Only peace can live there. Only contentment can live there. Why don't you stand your feet with me right now? Let's lift up our hands to the Lord. For me to live